Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. You know we've been casting vision as a church. And we've covered quite a bit of ground. We've talked about the intersection of faith and work. We've talked about the cultivation of emotional health. We've talked about the initiation of redemptive hospitality. We've talked about the connection of campus and church. And recently, the mission of every member. Today and for the next few weeks, we're going to pivot to our final point of our vision. In 10 years, what would you notice about our church? Well, we want hope in a word, to embody the whole gospel. Hope believes that Jesus is the gospel. Gospel means good news, and we believe that he is the good news. But this good news is too often truncated, chopped down the size in order to fit into our souls. But what if the gospel is not only good news for our souls, but bigger news for all of life? So big that it has something to say about more than just our relationships to God, but also our relationships to God's world. We believe that God is calling hope, in other words, to embrace and then embody the whole gospel. The gospel which not only reshapes our souls under the good rule of Jesus, as we talked about with spiritual formation but reshapes how we live, how we understand, and even, yes, how we act in this world and in our society and in our church community. Of all the vision points that we've shared this spring, I think this will be the hardest one for us to lean into and to trust God with. Because it requires that we move out of our comfort zone. It'll require that we become and and do more than just a sermon series. Or a study of a book. This part of our vision will not happen if we're risk averse or conflict avoidant. This vision will require nuance. It will require courage. It will require action. And new habits. But here's the good news. We believe this vision is close to the heart of God. He wants his people to embrace and then embody his holistic gospel. And so God is a God of justice and mercy. And so we want to be a church that reflects his heart, not just in our prayers, but in our actions. And so God is a triune God, which means God himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is a community of difference and unity. Our final future in the new heavens and new earth is one in which there is beautiful difference and beautiful unity. And so we want to be a church who pursues and demonstrates cross-cultural community, no matter the cost. So, lots to talk about. But today, what I want to do is I want to set the table for these discussions in the coming weeks. I want to ground this vision in what some have called God's great purpose statement. It's in Ephesians 1, verses 7 through 9, and it comes to us in the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul is writing in this first chapter of Ephesians 
this sort of never-ending, worshipful, stream-of-consciousness, run-on sentence at the beginning of his letter. And it culminates in this amazing purpose statement. So that if we were to ask God, what is your big plan? What is the point of it all? What are you getting at with all that you've done throughout all of redemptive history? What are you getting at with all that you promised to do in our history? What are you getting at when you return, when Jesus comes back to make all things new? What is your agenda? What is it, God? What answer would he give us? Let's actually, believe it or not, right here. In Ephesians 1, verse 9. And I think you'll find that the answer that God gives us is profoundly holistic. It encompasses more than our souls. It doesn't exclude our souls and the salvations of our souls. But it includes all that God made and therefore all that God cares about. So our vision as a church must be holistic. That's what I want to say. Our vision as a church must be holistic because God's plan is holistic. And so I want to read starting in verse 17 and then we can pray. I'm sorry, verse uh, verse 7. Verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts this morning be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer and Holy Spirit. Would you empower this sermon? Would you Bring your word to bear supernaturally into our hearts so that we would hear and yes, even see you, Jesus, through your word. And we need this from you, Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in high school, I thought that I was secretly cooler than everybody else. And the way that I thought that was because I convinced myself that I could do this through music, not playing music, though I did. I figured that if I could discover music that no one else has ever heard, and if I could keep it to myself, I would have a leg up on everybody, and I would be somehow cooler than everybody else. And so whenever I heard a good band, I would limit them to my earbuds. They weren't earbuds at the time, but my earphones. And so whenever these bands became popular, and they did, and I won't say who they are, you can come up to me afterwards and I'll talk about it. I'll give it up. But if they became popular like at all, even in my school, I would give them up. You know, they betrayed me. This band existed for me and for my inner life. And that's how I approached good music. But it's also how I tend to approach the good news of Jesus. Like something on my iPhone streaming through my earbuds. It's only private. It's only personal. It's only for me. It's only for my inner life. My relationship with Jesus. I know other people have relationships with Jesus. And I'm even willing to share about my relationship with Jesus. So that other people can have a relationship with Jesus in their inner life. But that's what I do. I limit the gospel to the inner life. It's my temptation. And of course, the good news of Jesus, right? His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his promised return... 
is profoundly good news to my inner life. I remember when I really embraced it, when I really heard it as a kid, it dealt with some serious guilt issues that I was carrying in my soul. It healed that sense of guilt. Because I saw on the cross that Jesus died for me and my sins. It healed my lack of hope. Upon encountering the death of my grandfather, I did not know what life was for if we're just going to die in the end. And so I had this inner turmoil. And the gospel healed that inner turmoil. It gave me personal, yes, inner hope. But typically, I'll say this, and probably because this was my story, I keep the gospel sealed up right there in my heart. I don't often consider how the good news of Jesus is good news for way more than just my inner life. See, the gospel for me was good news. It is good news. But is it big news? How big is it? Does the news of Jesus, in other words, have anything to do with the life outside of my soul? Does the good news of Jesus have anything to do with society and the problems that we experience in society and the harm that image bearers of God experience in society? Things like injustice, things like racism, things like poverty. Does the good news have anything to do with our relationships in church or just our relationship to God? Does it have anything to do with more than our relationships in church, but our relationships to our neighbors and to our city, to the place that God has us? See, in our Christian tradition, I'm afraid we tend to keep the gospel to the inner life. We can treat this worship gathering like an Orange Theory fitness class, can't we? We're coming here like literally to sweat it out today. But we're here to work on ourselves. That's kind of the temptation. We come here to work on ourselves. We got stuff we're dealing with inside of us. All very important things. And so we come here and everything going on in the world outside of us, we sort of put aside. Because after all, we're in church. We're here to learn and to be renewed in our inner person. This is our time. Our time to be renewed, to grow, to grow stronger in our faith. All these things. And, you know, in our tradition, we justify this approach because we think if we just focus on the inner life, then everything else outside of our inner life will fix itself. As a kind of trickle-down effect, the gospel trickle-down effect. But as historians point out, this sort of gospel trickle-down effect approach to heart change didn't really work when it came to some serious, serious social issues in our recent history, things like slavery and Jim Crow in America. Religious studies professor Anthony Bradley, he calls this sort of privatized Christian spirituality approach. He calls it Great Commission Christianity. And not to disparage the Great Commission, but because we tend to limit our scope of faith to nothing but the personal and the private. Personal communion with God, private communion with God. And we ziplock the gospel into our souls. Which means we have nothing to say, or more importantly, nothing to do about social issues. So talking about the American church's complicity, for instance, in slavery. Bradley says, quote, Great Commission Christianity preached a revivalistic, individualistic, 
truncated gospel to slaves on plantations and did not seek to free slaves from slavery. And note, the problem isn't that personal salvation is wrong. The problem is what he calls a hyper-focus there. It's a hyper-focus. It's such a hyper-focus that we lose the grand scope of what God is calling his people to. It leaves us unable to and really unequipped to move into bigger external areas. Areas like justice and mercy. And it shunts our witness, doesn't it? But listen, the gospel is not only good news for the soul. It is big news for the world. In other words, the message we're called to embrace and to embody is a holistic message. It's a message for the inner life and the outer life. It's a message about the salvation of our souls and our bodies and also the costly pursuit of neighbor love. You know, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus, what he came to do enables us to love God where we become more truly human and also love neighbor where, yes, we become more truly human. A holistic gospel cares about an emotional health, a part of our vision, and also cross-cultural community within his people on Sunday morning. It cares about being with God and doing with God. It cares about God's people cares about God's creation. Old Testament scholar Christopher Wright has helped me so much here for the past 15 years. And he says, quote, we need a holistic gospel because the world is in a holistic mess. I love that phrase because it gets at something very important. The good news of Jesus, the good news of Jesus has to be, it must be bigger than the fall. This world crashed. Genesis chapter 3 because of our human sin because of the sin of our parents and our sin with them the world crashed and it broke and fractured everything and the gospel the good news of how God is going to fix that and redeem that it must be bigger than that fall it must be bigger than that crash or else guess what the crash wins the fall wins the enemy wins And we know that that's not the story of Scripture. God redeems and fixes everything that's broken. In other words, at the fall, our relationship to God was broken, yes. But our relationship to the world was also broken. The world got messed up by our sin. Two major relationships were fractured, weren't they? Our vertical relationship in our horizontal relationships. Not just in the church community, but even in our society. How we relate to each other on those terms. But guess what? The gospel has a word for both of those relationships. And both are actually in our passage this morning. We see this in our passage that the gospel is good news, but it is also big news. It's big enough to redeem God's church big enough to redeem God's creation. Both are important and both are what we're after as a church. So let's just talk about both. First, that that God's good news, the gospel of Jesus is also big news, big enough to redeem God's church in verses seven and eight. And this is frankly what we are most comfortable talking about, isn't it? As a church. Look at verses seven and eight. Paul says in Jesus and him, we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, 
according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So these verses are clear. Absolutely. Jesus fixes our vertical relationship with God. And he does it in two ways. He redeems his people. Paul says that in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Now, Jesus redeems us. That's a word we use a lot in church. It may not be a word that we are very familiar with what it means, though. Redemption, I want you to understand, is about belonging. Who do you belong to? That's what the word redemption gets after. Redemption is when you're set free from belonging to someone who is hurting you and enslaving you. And then placed into a relationship with somebody who cares for you. This is a relationship of belonging, a new relationship of belonging. And that's what redemption is about. And what does Paul say? It only happens where and with whom? Happens in Christ. Our redemption is not just something that happens because of Christ. Our redemption is something that actually happens in Christ. We belong to him in Christ. We belong to him. Jesus is not just sort of giving us something, like a, a, giving us something. He is the something, you see? We belong to Jesus. We are redeemed. I love, love, love this question from the Heidelberg Catechism. It asks, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is that I belong to Christ. I belong to Christ. That is my only comfort in life and in death. Have you thought about that before? We would do well to wake up in the morning and simply say, what is my only comfort today with all that I'm up against, with all that this world is up against? And if we could say that I do not belong to myself, but I have been redeemed, I've been set apart, I've been pulled out and put in to a belonging relationship with Jesus. When we fool ourselves into in the idea that we belong somehow to ourselves, the Bibles would remind us that we're actually being held captive to Satan and his tyrannical kingdom. It's not a good thing. And what we need is rescued from a kingdom of darkness, to use Paul's words. And this is why Jesus went to the cross. We need a new belonging. Paul says we have redemption through his blood. Jesus went to the cross to redeem you, to belong to you. He also forgives his people. This is how Jesus redeems his church. He forgives us. We belong to Jesus. Our sins are also taken care of by Jesus. The cross not only rescues us, the cross also forgives us. And this is by grace. We don't deserve this. The scriptures say here in verse 8 that the grace that he gives us, he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight. He lavished all this grace on us. We don't deserve this forgiveness that he gave us. But we stand in grace. Now, I need to remind myself, and I, I'm guessing you do too, what this word lavish actually really gets after. Lavish is a ridiculous, super overabundance. It's practically wasteful in our thinking. When I was in Palestine four years ago with my dad, our hosts everywhere we went were lavish with their food. And they didn't have to be. They put out what must have been like 30 small bowls of beautiful multicolored salads chopped so small. 
And it was like every bowl was made for you and for your presence at their table. And that was just sort of the appetizer. That was before the main dish. That was before the dessert. Lavish is what it was. It was, a, it was super abundant. And that's God's grace. See, the good news, the good news of the gospel is big enough to redeem his church, to rescue us, to redeem us, to forgive us. God wants to do these things. He wants to be with you. He wants this relationship restored with you. And so when we look back to the fall and we notice that our relationship with God was fractured so that we are hiding from him, we see here God's grand pursuit of us. By grace, he, he, he redeems us. He rescues us from ourselves and he rescues us from our sin problem and he gives us a relationship with himself. If you've ever wronged somebody, if you've ever wronged somebody, you know that for restoration to happen in that relationship, the person who you wronged has to pursue forgiveness on their terms. And it's always costly. One might say it's through their blood. It's a costly thing to forgive. And of course, they absorb the relational cost onto themselves for the sake of the relationship. And that's what we see God doing in Christ. He forgives us. He redeems us. That's God. He wants to be with you. He gladly dies for you so that he can be with you. And so that's the gospel for our relationship to God. But notice that Paul shows us that the gospel gets bigger than just our vertical relationship to God. That it flows into our horizontal relationships to all of God's creation. In other words, Jesus doesn't just forgive his church. He fixes his creation. Look at verses 9 and 10. Paul says, Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. To do what? To unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. So right away in this passage, we see that one of the gifts that God gives his people beyond a restored relationship is he gives us insight. He gives us an inside track. What Paul calls uh, here in verse 8, wisdom and insight. He gives us insight into his purpose, his plan. What Paul calls the mystery of his will or plan. According to what? According to his purpose. He says that God makes known the mystery, which just means something that's been hidden for a while is now revealed like food sitting under a dinner uh, table. Uh, it is lifted up and we see the food for the first time. What does God reveal to us about his plan? What is that plan, in other words? Well, Paul uses a word that's translated in our Bibles to unite. Unite. The Greek word here has eight syllables. I'm not kidding. Eight syllables. So I'm, I'm going to spare you. And I'm going to refrain from trying to say it. But this eight-syllable word is, was a very common word in Paul's society that was used in accounting and in math. Anybody math people here? I know you're out there. And when you add up everything and you get the total sum you would add that total sum to the very top of all the numbers. 
And that was the word here that is translated in English, unite. It's a sort of gathering together things that are spitting out and presenting them as a coherent whole again. And so God's great plan, listen, God's great purpose in sending Jesus to the world, the great kind of agenda of God, if you will, is summarized in this one word. It might help us to think of this one word in two ways, restoration and reunion. So first, restoration. God intends to restore everything that is broken by sin back to working order. This isn't, let me just say, this isn't universalism. Remember the previous verse, we must be redeemed by his blood. Remember Paul's overarching mission to share the gospel to those who are in the kingdom of darkness. This is not a a word about universalism. What it's describing is how God is fixing more than human souls. He's fixing his creation. One scholar says, quote, Through sin, endless disorder and disintegration have come into the world. But in the end, all things will be restored to their intended function. How? By being brought back to the obedience of Christ. So I immediately think of a linchpin. This sort of mechanical device called the linchpin. A linchpin is a pin. Not like a writing pin, but a pin. It's a thing that holds usually a wheel to an axle. So anybody have training wheels at home? Any kids out there have training wheels? No, No, you're over it? You're past the training wheels? Well, what held the training wheel onto the axle? A linchpin. We have a training wheel set in our garage. It doesn't work, it's useless. Why? We don't have the linchpin. A linchpin holds everything together. When the machine gets more complex, more complex than simple, you know, training wheels, the linchpin becomes all the more vital. And that's how I see Jesus being described in this passage. The world, the garage of the world, right? This world is spinning out of control because it's not in glad obedience to Jesus. Like riding training wheels without a linchpin is dangerous, it's broken world we live in. And that's what Paul is saying, that Jesus holds everything together in all that he made and all that he stands to redeem. So when any part of creation goes rogue and detaches from King Jesus, it spins off into disintegration. So a vital part of the good news of Jesus, according to Paul, is restoring all that has spun off and disintegrated. How? By, again, bringing it under his good rule again. Scripture elsewhere calls this, when he returns, and this is fully realized, new creation. Not brand new creation, renewed creation. Paul is saying that all of creation, the beautiful trees that are behind me, is groaning right now. They are groaning right now. He says this, In the letter to the Romans, 
Why are they groaning? They are waiting for the day when King Jesus comes back and this word is realized. The linchpin. And so that's restoration. Related to this is reunion. See, the problem is our sin creates uh, not just a fractured relationship to God, but our, we are scattered and disordered in our relationship to the world. We were made for shalom. This rich Hebrew word that we translate for peace, but it means interdependence. A true, listen, unity of difference. Borrowing a word from Scott McKnight, a true unity of difference. E-N-T-S, difference. So the gospel brings healing through restoration and then relational reunion. Standing together under King Jesus. And it's only on this ground that we have reunion that we all long for. And so this passage teaches us that God's gospel is not only good, it is big. Christopher Wright, he summarizes this verse this way, and I want to say it slowly because it's very good. God's plan is to bring healing and unity to the whole creation and through Christ. The mission of God is to redeem the whole of creation broken by sin and evil into the new creation populated by the redeemed from every culture through the cross and resurrection of Christ. And remember, this plan we are called to participate in. That's what it means to be the church. God, so if God's agenda is as big as all that he made, that means our agenda just got a lot bigger too. One of my heroes, John Stott, he makes his point, quote, this letter, Ephesians, where we hear this mission statement, it doesn't merely drop this verse down and say, this is our future. And so long for it. No, he doesn't, it doesn't do this. It's not merely a distant goal, but quote, this letter presents the ongoing task of the church. Think of our church right now, hope. Of the church in a world divided by barriers of race, color, culture, political system as that of bringing all things and all people into the captivity of obedience of Christ, the only good captivity. And so back to find their true function and unity in him. This is the big gospel. This gospel is good. It's also big. What does this mean for you? And I'm going to ask what this means for us as a church. So what it means for you, if you're already with us this morning and you're already following Jesus, I want you to allow God's big agenda in this passage to enlarge what it might mean for you to be a Christian on mission. Christians, I think, in our tradition are always in danger of over-spiritualizing their lives, which means that social issues are very often separate issues from their faith. But what does Paul says? Paul says that God's very big gospel impacts all that God made, which includes all of our relationships. We must not truncate the good news of God because God does not truncate the good news of God. Remember Anthony Bradley's challenging observation. He says, 
churches with this sort of truncated, over-spiritualized gospel, quote, and I'm quoting him, did nothing to thwart and fight against lynching during the Reconstruction. Did nothing to liberate blacks from Jim Crow. In fact, it was the opposite. It was typically these church members in the South that fought against the black church-led civil rights movement. Fast forward to recent American racial tensions, he goes on, and you'll find a parallel. These churches were unable to respond well to what happened in Ferguson, Missouri, he says. So equipped with this verse, we now see that the gospel saves our souls, but that same gospel ought to compel us to thwart social harm. They're not either or. The good news of Jesus enables us to love God and love neighbor well. And love enemy well. Love of neighbor, love of enemy. The gospel just moved into the social realm. It must if we're going to love our neighbor well. At Hope, we partner with She Has a Name, which exists to educate and equip people to fight in the fight against human trafficking. This is not an add-on to the gospel or a second-class implication of the good news of Jesus and his rule. It's part of what it means as gospel people to love our neighbors well. At Hope, we partner with Safe Families, which surround families in crisis with caring, compassionate community. This is not some secondary implication of the gospel. Jesus restores and reunites broken relationships. We just read it in Ephesians 1.9. And these relationships that Jesus restores are not just vertical, but they're also horizontal. That's what it means to embody the gospel. We are so good at emphasizing the vertical. That will never go away. And I want you to hear that now. This is a promise. Hope Church will never water down or forsake the vertical relationship aspect of the gospel. How could we? What we need to do is we need to lean into the very big gospel that impacts Oh, so much more than just our hearts. Now, what could this passage mean for you if you're not a follower of Christ and you're with us this morning, you're tuning in this morning on our live stream? Well, you may be wondering, and you would do well to wonder, if the church has anything to say about the relevant issues of today. How fractured we are in our culture, in our churches. Our environment, our toxic public discourse. Well, this passage could convince you that the good news is big enough to have a say. Because the gospel is Jesus. And here is the truth of the matter. Jesus is Lord over all. And we are participating in his mission, God's mission. We don't get a vote on what that mission is. When we are redeemed, we're brought into a participation in what he is up to. And we follow the leader.
what I hope, what does this large gospel have to do with our unique vision? Well, it means that our message must be holistic moving forward. The message we embrace and embody is good news, not just for our relationship with God, but our relationship to the world. And so in the coming weeks, we're going to be just talking about issues like mercy and justice. We're going to be talking about what my friend Connie Anderson calls, quote, discipleship for God's multi-ethnic kingdom. We want to be a church that completely pursues these issues and whatever cost. Because the gospel is not just for our earbuds. It's bigger than that. It extends overall. And so, Lord, would you be pleased with this effort? Would you hear our cry of dependence on you to take part in what you're after here as a church? Lord, we pray that the good news of Jesus would spill out of our souls and of our hearts and into our relationships in this church and in our neighborhoods. It's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.